Hey everyone, thanks for listening to SwiftCast. If you're a fan of Taylor, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on iTunes or your podcast app, and it will automatically download our episodes for you each week. We have a lot of exciting episodes and guests as Reputation rolls out, so you'll only be doing yourself a favor by subscribing. Also, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr, at SwiftCast13, or you can find all of our episodes and social media at our website, SwiftCast13.com. Enjoy the show! Welcome to episode 223 of SwiftCast. This is Ashley. Adam. And Steph. And we have a great episode for you guys. Back on episode 203, which was released on June 14th, we were joined by Charlie and Nate of the Switched on Pop podcast. And they joined us for an awesome analysis of I Knew You Were Trouble. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely go back. And on their podcast, on Switched on Pop, they take very popular songs like Taylor's and break them down from a technical standpoint, helping listeners to explore the songs. So, of course, we had to invite them back immediately to talk about Look What You Made Me Do, and we're so glad that they were able to join us. Yeah, it's going to be great to get a different perspective on Look What You Made Me Do because we've talked about it amongst ourselves and with you guys on call-in episodes. So it'll be cool to see somebody else who knows a lot about music give their opinions on the song. Yeah, I just love hearing the technical aspects of the song, and they're so talented that I just can't wait to hear their analysis. Well, with that, we're going to jump right into the interview. So here is our chat with Switched On Pop. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thanks for coming on again. It's an exciting time. I'm sure that we said the last time that we had you on, if Taylor ever releases new music, we'll have to have you back. It seemed like something that might never happen. (laughs) We saw the Taylor signal up in the sky. We're here. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't here to record with you guys last time, but I listened to the episode and loved it. So very much looking forward to discussing this new song with you guys. Absolutely. And I feel like your listeners and followers are very active on social media. Have you been getting a lot of questions from them asking you at all what you think about what Taylor's doing? It's been overwhelming. Um, It's been exciting. Lots of fun opinions. Uh, Folks definitely asking, pleading, begging us to cover this song. And so you're lucky to get the first scoop from Switched on Pop. Um, I think that uh, for our show, we're going to wait probably for more of her music to come out and so that we can assess the new body of work as a whole before we uh, jump right on the signal. So this is, uh, this is an exciting opportunity. Well, we're definitely honored then. Thank you. And so just to start out, I think, and we've mentioned this before, when Look What You Made Me Do first came out, we were all very surprised at this new sound from Taylor. What were your initial reactions? Well, isn't that how we're supposed to feel? She's saying, look what you made me do. Oh my gosh, look what you've done. I'm so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely went for the shock value. Nate, what was your first impression? Yeah, you know, I was just, I was telling Charlie that my first impression of the song was one of kind of bewilderment, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Because it just was so out of left field uh, and 
and, and seemed a, a little silly to me at the time. And then I listened to it with headphones on, which is something I highly recommend everyone does with this piece, with some good headphones. Because when I did, there were all these other elements of the song that opened up to me and made my whole experience of it much richer and deeper. So I, I think we're excited to talk about what some of those are. Yeah, I similarly, Nate, when I first heard it over a really bad Bluetooth speaker, I was like, <laughs> nothing's going on here. This is not very interesting. Oh, well. And for sure, on repeated listening, especially getting to hear all of the, the intricate details of the synthesizer that we'll surely get into, um, the song has grown on me immensely. Yeah, I think I'm kind of the same. That it, On first listen, I wasn't sure, but it's definitely grown on me a lot. And I've also heard that from other people when they listen to it with headphones, it just takes the song to a whole different level. Definitely. I mean, we could dive into the first verse and talk about uh, one of those instances. Uh, when you're listening to the first vocal, I don't like your little games, it doesn't sound like much is happening. It's a very sparse texture. Right. Like we don't have, we don't hear a lot of chords we don't hear a lot of acoustic instruments, or maybe any acoustic instruments for that matter. Uh, it's a very sort of monkish, ascetic soundscape, <laughs> I would say. It's it's very, it's kind of bleak and empty. What you hear when you put on headphones is so much of the activity here is happening on a sort of subterranean level. <laughs> uh as she's calling this person out saying, you know, uh, I, I don't like you. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah, that, that sentiment is underscored in a very subtle way by these synthesizers that are occurring on, on such a, a low frequency level that you might not really hear them if you're listening to it on a car stereo or like out of your, you know, laptop speakers or something. Uh, once you, once you tune into those sounds it raises the stakes of the song a little bit. I really like that you use the word subterranean because um, the song opens with what feels like a reference to uh, thriller and a bunch of sort of horror film soundish things, right? So the whole song has this thesis. It's the title, Look What You Made Me Do. The song is about defying expectations of the personal her personal narrative, um, her body of work, and even within the song itself, musically, it continues to defy our expectations. So we jumped right into the verse, but when you get into the introduction of the song, we are hearing it, th these creaky dory synthesizer. It sounds <laughs> like a thriller in which Michael Jackson comes out of the ground, and of course, she makes reference to that in her music video um, in this song. So subterranean is a is, is a great um, is a great word to use there because what happens right after this introduction where we have strings and piano and things that might be inferring that we're going to get into a typical Taylor song right if this is about messing with our expectations I would expect something that's got a major hook something which has a lot of chordal progressions a very traditional uh, pop song structure and. When we land on that verse, we get exactly the opposite, right? We, we, we have a one-note melody. 
we have a simple drum machine and these just disgusting synthesizers um, <laughs> that have completely defied our expectation, both of Taylor Swift um, in her body of work in the song itself from the introduction into the verse and certainly within the sort of personal narrative that the song talks about. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially the comparisons you were making to Thriller. I'd heard a little bit of people comparing it to that, and I feel like the video gives the song even a whole new context and will live on for such a long time as so memorable. There might be another reference to Thriller in the song in that in the uh, bridge of the song, we get a sort of snippet of uh, Taylor Swift talking. <laughs> Uh, and she says, I'm sorry, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, she's dead. <laughs> and that kind of campy dialogue appearing seemingly out of nowhere in the middle of a song seems very much borrowed from the thriller playbook. Yeah, absolutely. Where you can have these little dramatic interludes just dropped into the middle of a pop song because the whole thing is this celebration of campiness and theatricality and novelty i'm gonna have to re-listen to thriller because i don't don't remember that i haven't heard it in so long but now hearing you talk about it uh, i feel the need to go listen to it again yeah and i mean i'm not now i don't remember if it's at the very beginning of the song but there's this vincent price uh monologue that that kind of rolls over the the song in a great way do you guys read anything into the fact that Taylor's last three lead singles have all had a speaking part. This song does, Shake It Off does for 1989, and We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together does for Red. And those were all lead singles, and they all have speaking parts. Is there anything in that? I think there's something surely in the spoken word element for sure, but I think what really stands out here is the way in which she is referencing so many bodies of work. So uh, her music video, of course, is a reference to all of her other characters. Uh, It's references to all of her enemies, frenemies, friends. Um, And here with her using uh, a spoken narrative, um, she's referencing her body of work. And I think this is smart because uh, the song, as, as we sort of established, is about upsetting our expectations and the funny thing about expectations is that they are set by all of the previous body of work that we know and so just as much she is as she is leaving it she's referencing it in both the antithesis and in uh, elements that are decidedly tailor right just one element we could look at are her songwriting partners um if we are expecting from the marketing of this album, a, a change in personality and a, a, a more mature Taylor. Uh, it's interesting that she chooses to continue to work with the same hit songwriters that she's worked with in the past. So right here we have um, on Look What You Made Me Do is a Jack Antonoff hit who worked with her a ton on 1989. Her other single um, is uh, produced by Max Martin and Shellback, who she's worked with over and over and over again. And so just as much as we are getting uh, entirely new material. The song has constant reference to our expectations of who she's been, both uh, as her persona and musically, the spoken elements being one of them. And I think those spoken elements also provide a connection for listeners to uh, the person that they 
perceive Taylor Swift to be like under underneath all those guises. Right. Like that's that's a that's a powerful thing to attach to when you hear someone's voice, you know, seemingly unfiltered. Uh, that's like that's a powerful musical signature to to put in your songs that keeps people coming back. I think. Yeah, that's a really good point. That was one of the first things I noticed the very first time I heard the song. I was thinking, oh, she's doing another speaking part in this song. And before I even heard the song, I I never thought she would do it for a third time. But given the, I guess, kind of shock value of this song, it probably made a lot of sense to include something like that to continue to connect with her fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We've looked at in our show how she uses similar melodic motifs. We called one the T-drop, which is this interval descending uh, that she does over and over and over again in her different songs. And so I, I was looking out for it in this track like at the end of You Belong With Me. Yeah. Da, da, da. She uses that everywhere. It's on almost every one of her albums. And I was looking for it on this track, but surprisingly, we get almost no melodic material throughout this entire song. And I think that's part of what makes this song um, uh, so expertly fulfill its thesis. Look what you made me do. I'm going to break all of your expectations and uh the primary expectation i have from taylor is that she writes banger pop hits not to say mm-hmm. that this isn't but a banger pop hit for me usually has a hook that people can sing on you know a chorus a whole bus of people can sing it together or in a stadium or whatever and this song continues to defy our expectations so if we just go through it right first we had that intro the intro sort of sets up the idea that maybe we'll get some melodic material no the verse opens up and she just sings the same note over and over and over again and that's not bad there's lots of one note melodies instead what she's really working with is an interplay of rhythm um in the pre-chorus uh we usually a pre-chorus is a moment for a song to build to get to this giant chorus to fulfill our expectations and she starts to hint that maybe we're going somewhere she continues to sing a more or less uh melodically singular melody um while underneath her the chords start descending right they start dropping down and this descent this uh, along with these sort of thick challenging synthesizers uh, feels like it's going down to the pit of our stomach and you know it's all going to come up and we're we're expecting something big to land in the chorus and amazingly we get to the chorus and what do we get no hook there's no hook we just continue to get a single note melody in fact the, the 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 chorus is spoken there's almost no melodic material it's really just spoken voice there um, and of course, it, it does have reference to the Right Said Fred song, which probably gives it some cultural resonance. But it, it, going through this entire arc of the song, we keep thinking we're going to get some of what we expect from Taylor, a great big singable chorus. And she completely throws that exp- expectation out the window, fulfilling the thesis and the title of the song. Look what you made me do. You made me break the whole thing down. I completely agree with your interpretation. Your, or I rather, rather I, I, I'm very compelled by your reading, except for one thing, which is that this chorus may not be melodic, but I think it's a hook. I mean, yeah, this is a really surprisingly catchy little piece of slam poetry here. Like, yeah, it gets lodged in your brain, and 
I think if we spend a moment looking at how this chorus works, it'll actually further your thesis of this song defying expectations because that's exactly what the chorus does. Hmm. It gives you one rhythm for the first two lines of the chorus. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. So we get that rhythm twice in a row. Right. But then in the third repetition, she changes the rhythm slightly by adding a new word, just. So it oh. becomes, look what you just made me do. So we've like increased the, the length of that line yeah. by one beat. And then what happens is once you repeat that line, it doesn't line up uh, with the, the underlying pulse of the song. Right the way it did when it was one shorter, you know, that it, it overlaps essentially where you would experience the pulse of the song. So when we're suddenly listening to this, these words and as they move from one beat to the other, they have this very different accent pattern that also throws us off balance and, de- and I think defies the expectations of what you think you're going to hear in the same way you're describing the whole structure of the song does that's so right on because it's such a tailor thing to do one of the things that she does so frequently in her melodies in her verses she'll frequently um take the original melody of the first verse and then in the second or third verse she'll completely alter it and take it into a new domain and so she's doing that sort of uh theme and variation in a very constrained place right here in the chorus and and you're right, it is a hook. It uses rhythmic displacement rather than melodic engagement in order to uh, grab the listener. But yeah, I've heard lots of people say, look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. <laughs> like, it works. It's a hook. It's a hook. And we'll be right back with more of our discussion. So one of my initial reactions without having any technical knowledge to break it down like you just did was... I feel like she is trying to almost purposely make what at first glance is an unlikable song because she knows people will hmm. still love it anyway. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did anyone else get that? It seemed so in your face like she was almost daring us not to like it. Yeah, I think it's intentionally alienating. You know, there's some really harsh sounds, both the subterranean bases we were talking about, the very compressed and sort of brittle drums throughout this song Hmm. it's not a very it's not full of friendly textures right you know there's like very highly distorted electric guitars in the uh pre-chorus it's uh it's a very spartan industrial maybe is is a term that comes to mind kind of texture and yeah i do think it is trying to alienate you a little bit trying to challenge and confront you and uh i think the question we could ask is like do we feel like she pulls it off because she's walking this fine line between the same sort of girlish sentiments of i don't like you and these sort of cooed vocals you know (laughs) going on throughout but at the same time there's this very militant industrial sound behind it and i don't know do you feel like she's pulled off that balancing act between the cute and the sinister i do i feel like she had gotten to a point where you know she can't go back to her earlier days and 1989 was a departure for her but not really so 
if she didn't want to make another album that sounded like 1989, she almost was forced to do something drastic. Yeah, that's a good point. She has said time and time again that she wasn't going to redo 1989. And she herself said that she knew she could never top 1989. I kind of question whether... I think it's possible she will top 1989 just because of how excited people are for this new album. But I feel like she really had to do something. And with everything that happened to her through the media last year, it it's almost like she had to write something. Everybody expected her to write something. And with that in mind, I'm glad she chose more of almost this satire route rather than directly addressing anybody. You know, there's been obviously a lot of comparisons to where Taylor Swift is making homage to other artists and where there are claims of maybe she is sort of outright uh, taking from other artists. The uh, I like that Nate called her this sound sort of industrial. Um, and uh, what's interesting about this, the industrial pop sound is that um, it's actually fairly well established um, that Nine Inch Nails... Um, Kanye with Yeezus, Rihanna's album Anti, all have this sort of industrial sound. And the the thing about an industrial pop track is that you really just have to take a normal pop song structure and give you enough of a hook. And if you do that, you can superimpose these very challenging sounds, things which are not you know, immediately orally pleasing, and it will work. I think here it's it's maybe not surprising that if 1989 is considered a particularly um, you know, maybe maybe her masterpiece that she's following it with this sort of sound is is very much in the likes of Kanye following My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy with Yeezus, which threw out the sound that we heard on Dark Twisted Fantasy and embraced this industrial, really challenging sound. Stripped down. Stripped down and really distorted, bit crunched. Um, so an uh, interesting choice to potentially be be using that that path, especially considering her her uh, all her, all of her controversies with Kanye. Which we're not which we're not gonna touch <laughs> at all, right, Charlie? <laughs> I'm not a, I, no, no, I'm I'm more interested in the music. Yeah. Yeah. So don't drop, don't drop the K bomb again. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a question for you guys going back to the chorus. Um, my initial reaction to listening to the song was that I liked it, and that's still my reaction to the song. I really like the verses. I really like the pre-chorus. I really like the bridge. Um, but I think myself and a lot of the general public, when they first heard the song, their reaction was that they didn't necessarily like the chorus because of its repetition. Is that something to have criticism about is it too repetitious or what do you guys think could it have been made better well i think here is where we come to the right said fred uh aspect of the song that you mentioned wanting to talk about because i think you know the the gesture of of paying homage to right said fred by including them as as co-writers on look what you made me do and acknowledging the similarity between i'm too sexy for my shirt with this song, uh, I think repetition is certainly uh, a valid criticism of the chorus, but at the same time, it's exactly what makes the chorus so compelling in a way where its obviousness has a certain kind of charm, just the mm. same way that I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt did, because it's not trying to uh, 
woo you or something because it's just stating itself so plainly that I think it's kind of endearing or something. It's very conversational. Hmm. It's uh, it's almost mundane in a way. The chorus sounds like something you would overhear. Uh, and that's why it's sort of beguiling and maybe why the more I listen to it, at least the more I find it more and more kind of brilliant because I don't know, I, I like hear more nuance to it. I would just love to know how Taylor and Jack came up with the idea to include I'm Too Sexy. <laughs> it's always one of those questions of whether it was intentional, whether it was something that just happened. I didn't, we can't get inside the studio to know, but it it certainly uh, is a good choice to, um, if you're going to do something so stripped down and challenging as a as a chorus, to have some sort of other point of cultural connection, which is going to be ignited in people's memory, it, it has that much more of a chance of, of catching on. So I think it was a smart choice. In terms of uh, could they have improved it, um, I think the song really fulfills its mission very well. And that, um, gosh, Nate's going to get so mad at me because really our whole thing is we want to focus on the music. I think that this song has to be viewed in relationship to her other single, Ready For It, and... Proceed. <laughs> I think that she's making a smart choice. Uh, it's, a, it's the same move that actually Ed Sheeran made on his last album, dropping both Shape of You and I believe it was Castle on the Hill at the same time. Two songs with incredibly different sonic characteristics. Um, you know, similarity as well. Like, those are both Ed Sheeran songs. Likewise, both of the Taylor Swift songs do share, especially some of this uh, industrial sort of sound on it. But her other track is is a um, more melodically uh, compelling, um, definitely feels more in line of what I would have expected from Taylor Swift. And so um, when we look at uh, Look What You Made Me Do, it's really trying, it, it's all about, as, we, as we've established, messing with our expectations. And so the, the chorus does just that. And if we are disappointed, if someone is unfulfilled by it, they have the other song that they can go and listen to. So I think that it's a wise choice to put something out, which is uh, challenging. She's trying to say, hey, I'm looking to challenge you. Um, and it, the song does just that. So yeah, I think, it, I think it's really fulfilled what it's set out to do. And it is already in conversation with the beginning of the rest of the body of work that we're going to see coming out of this album. Yeah, this is the first time, actually, that she's released another song off the album so quickly after the debut single. So I'm glad that she kind of made it clear for everyone that we have no idea what else to expect from this <laughs> album and that we can't base it all on Ready For It, which as fans, I think we realize, but a lot of the general public might not. Mm. I have uh, two final thoughts. One is uh, something I present to the whole world anyone listening out there as well as our esteemed hosts here there's a sound in this song at around three minutes and 14 seconds that is very weird and almost sounds like a voice saying something i know exactly which part you mean i've been wondering the same thing what i i'm really curious about that like it's it's either just a really crazy synthesized sound or it's some sort of processed voice and if it's the latter, I'd be curious if we could slow it down somehow and, and see if there's a like a secret message to be decoded there. That might be wishful thinking, but I don't know. There's something there's something important about that sound, I'm convinced. Hmm. 
It's a little mystery. Not to go all Illuminati here. <laughs> you know, it bothers me every time I listen to it. It almost sounds like a glitch in the track. Hmm. I'll be curious to hear if anyone has a, anyone out there has a theory as to the, the significance of that sound. And the other thought I, I had was when Stephanie and Ashley were talking about this sort of new period that Taylor's entering into and trying to abnegate her old sound and identity. And especially because of so much of the imagery in the video, I started to think about the myth of Orpheus. Ooh. If you're f- familiar with this tale, it's about the greatest musician in the world, Orpheus, who can move anyone with his lyre who uh, goes to Hades to the underworld which I mean so much of that video feels like the underworld to me and he goes down to rescue his love Eurydice and on his way out Hades said as long as you she'll follow you out but if you look back at any point she will vanish forever back into Hades And as he's about to leave, he thinks, you know, maybe Hades tricked me. Maybe she's not there. And he looks back and he sees her just reaching out to him and being sucked back down into the underworld. And that's sort of the tragedy of Orpheus. And I'm saying all this because it's like if this sound and this image represents that her her sort of dark, her dark side, then she better be careful because she might not be able to look back. Like she might not be able to go back to those, to the country singer or the pop star. I mean, she's playing a dangerous game here is is all I'm saying. Well, sort of along those lines, one thing that I'm wondering is, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but so far she has not been doing any traditional media interviews or press at all for this album. And so if that continues, if she just sort of lets the album and the fans and the social media buzz and everything promoted for her, which I can understand why she wants to do, but will she really be able to ever go back to just doing normal press? Cause that's such a bold decision. Yeah. She might be entering her late Beatles stage. <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's a good question, but I feel like she probably has some sort of plan already formulated to go back to regular media I'll I'll say I'd I'd be surprised if she did. I think that her celebrity has grown so significantly that at this point she has this very challenging tightrope of balancing between showing some version of herself um to give a story that we can all relate to while really desperately needing to protect her privacy. And it's a very challenging act. I think that the way in which she's released this music surely is intentional and that it's probably intentionally done to garner the most impact get the most number of listens um and sometimes the absence of uh commentary at least i think now in social media in the blogosphere there uh it allows people to drum up all sorts of ideas and conspiracy theories like what's happening at three minutes and 14 seconds (laughs) By the way, last time that we asked someone to give us a, a thought of what they thought was happening in Taylor Swift's song, we received about, I don't know, a thousand emails. So do watch out. <laughs> well, one thing I noticed with that three minutes and 14 seconds, what I noticed before the pre-chorus is there's a, a sound that to me sounds like it could be Jack right before it goes into, but I got smarter, I got harder. So I wonder if, if he's included in the three minute 14 second part Ooh, cool i like that yep 
Dig it. Well, there's so much more to say about this song. I mean, there's a ton going on, but hopefully we got to scratch the surface and sort of introduce some more ways of hearing it and looking at it. And now your listeners will just go even further and uh, we'd love to hear what they think. Absolutely. One thing that I wanted to confirm was the tea drop because on our last episode with you, that was one of my favorite parts of learning about the tea drop. So just to confirm, there is no tea drop at all in this song. Ooh, I have not done a thorough melodic analysis. There's so little melodic material here, but she does make a few interval jumps. I don't know, Nate, what did you hear? I, I didn't, I didn't hear any, but uh, I, that doesn't mean there aren't. Yep. She's, she's good at, you know, as we talked about messing with her expectations. So if it's hidden in there, I'm impressed and I wouldn't be surprised, but it's definitely not evident. Okay. And based off your initial listen of Ready For It, did you notice any tea drops in that song? Ooh. I have not. We I don't think we've run the the tea drop detector over that one yet. <laughs> uh, so we'll have to we'll have to report back. Okay, good. I can't wait to hear if there is one. Yeah, and we have 13 more songs, so if not, I would guess it might show up somewhere. <laughs> I know, I'm excited. Got a lot more work to do. So even though you didn't do a full analysis of ready for it do you have any initial impressions about the song especially in comparison to look what you made me do um initial impression is that uh again messes with some of our expectations what i what sounds like is a pre-chorus in the song the sort of edm build uh, lands into nothing the introductory material of the song we actually don't really get a chorus um so she continues to mess with our minds and that's mm-hmm. awesome yeah well we're excited to see how she messes with our minds even more when the album's released <laughs> cool well we're excited to stay tuned and do you guys want to remind everyone where they can find you on social media Absolutely. You can uh, send us your craziest theories about Taylor Swift's music and any other pop music you enjoy to at Switched on Pop on Twitter uh, or email us at Switched on Pop at gmail.com. And you can check out our show at our website, which is Switched on Pop.com. It's not very original. And if you have any crazy theories, CC us on them because we'd love to hear them too. We're at swiftcast13show at gmail.com. Well, thanks so much for having us. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, real pleasure. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, folks. So I don't know about you guys, but I definitely have so many new things to think about with this song that I hadn't thought about before. Oh, absolutely. I had not even noticed what we were talking about at the 3 minute and 14 second mark so i'm gonna go listen to that now yeah those guys had a lot of interesting things to say and i hope we can have them back for another full discussion either on ready for it or another song that taylor releases soon and i do hope that we get people sending us their crazy theories because i would love to hear what people think yeah it's always so interesting and switch on pop makes me feel smarter because i feel like i learned so much about how songs are structured and the different elements of them. So we hope that you enjoyed this as much as we did. And we always love hearing your feedback on our episodes. You can email us at swiftcast13show at gmail.com. You can contact us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr, all at swiftcast13. 
or you can visit our website at swiftcast13.com. But for now, for episode 223, this has been Ashley, Adam, and Steph. And we'll see you guys soon. Thank you. See ya. Bye, guys. Bye.